0: Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Oh, hello there. Thanks for stopping by. I have a hell of a program slated for this evening, so I hope that you're prepared and settled in. Now, tonight's tales range from full-bodied apparitions to southern big feet and maybe even a skinwalker or two. So, bolt the doors, draw the curtains, and get ready to get your spooky on. To kick us off this evening, we begin with one of those aforementioned monsters. Please welcome our anonymous submitter from the Lone Star State of Texas.
1: Hey, Derek, I got an interesting Bigfoot story for you. Well,. where I'm from, we refer to him as the skunk. So I'm from a little town in southeast Texas and I had just gotten my hardship driver's license and I convinced my dad to let me go hunting on one of the my pastors actually hunting spots. So I wake up early the next morning and I get to the stand about four o'clock in the morning, sitting up, doing what I gotta do to make sure that when the sun starts coming up I can see any deer. Sitting there and where the three blind was was on the edge of the woods in a really wide pipeline, cutout type route right through the woods. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking out, nothing's really happening, not really hearing anything but the birds and whatnot. So I decide, well, I might as well, you know, step out and relieve myself. I step out of the stand, start doing my business, and once I get done, I uh, go to get back in and I start hearing a lot of movement. And, you know, where I'm from, we have deer and boar and everything like that. So that's what I thought it was. So I grabbed my gun, and I'm standing outside the stand, and I'm looking through the woods to see if I see anything. And all of a sudden, this potent smell hits me. And it doesn't smell like anything I've really smelled before. I can attribute it now to, I guess, what would be called, a, like, a sulfury or rotten egg type smell. And I immediately thought there was a water moccasin around me because I was always told that water moccasins smell like rotten eggs. So I kind of step back from where I'm at into the opening of the pipeline area. And when I do that, I look to my right, and there is the Skunkake. Just walking right across the pipeline area. And the pipeline area was about 200 feet across, and he was probably 80, 90-so feet from me. So, I mean, I could see him pretty clearly. You know, I'd always... Joked around with people that told me about Skunk Ape and Bigfoot about why doesn't anyone just shoot him to prove that he's real. And in that moment, I realized why they don't. Because you're awestruck that this creature that you've been told is a myth or whatever is walking right in front of you. And he made the 200 feet across in what seemed like maybe 15 steps. He was just massive and moved. So easily through the mud and the muck and the divots and everything else have been done by four-wheelers. And I immediately said, all right, I'm done for the, today. I didn't get anything. I'm done. And I just packed up my stuff, walked back out to my truck, and decided I was never going to hunt that spot again. Love your show. Hope you can use this. Take it easy, Derek. Bye.
0: Thank you, Caller. Now oddly enough, we really haven't discussed the skunk ape all that much on this program. Maybe and hopefully after this call, the frequency will increase. Now before we break this experience down further, let's bone up on the subject of the skunk ape.
2: Smack in the middle of nowhere, 90 some miles west of modern civilization, where Mother Nature's terrain is rough and rugged, someone, or something, is certainly lurking in the dark, mysterious swamp. Florida's Bigfoot, the Sasquatch of the swamp, the abdominal snowman of the subtropics, the Yeti of the glades, folks around these parts call it the Skunk Ape, named so for its hairy body and pungent odor. The accounts are countless. They're about six and a half to seven feet tall. They weigh about 350 pounds. Whether the creature is fact or fiction, myth or man ape, or just a great publicity stunt by the man who owns his gift shop and tour company along the Tamiami Trail is unknown.
0: That vintage clip is courtesy of WSVN, News 7 out of Miami, Florida, and was originally broadcast in or around the turn of the last century now there are a few things in that clip i'd like to discuss firstly did he just say abdominal snowman is that a snowman with six-pack abs and also john turchin the reporter that put that package together mentioned that the creature gets its name from its horrendous smell now i too have always believed that to be the name's origin But recently, I heard a story claiming that the name Skunk Ape actually derives from one of the original encounters with the creature. Apparently, that specimen was dark with a light stripe that ran down its body, giving it the appearance of, well, a skunk. Now, unfortunately, I cannot remember where I heard this story, nor can I find it, so it's best to take what I just said with a grain of salt. Well, as most local news stations tend to do, they seem to be poking a little fun at the subject here, treating the creature more as a mascot than a monster. But not all encounters with this elusive creature are quite as fleeting. Take the following from Monster Quest, Season 1, Episode 9 Swamp Beast Revealed.
3: Like the one Florida wildlife tracker Dan Jackson had in December of 2002. Jackson set a trap at an unlikely location behind a strip mall in Collier City, Florida, at a dumpster where he believes a skunk ape was lured by old fruit in the garbage.
4: I had found a game trail and uh, had been working it for quite some time and found that it ended where this uh, little retention pond was with a series of six dumpsters. Then I devised a plan where I was going to use a half a gallon container of orange juice with a strong sedative that I had put into it, and I had put extra sugar in it to both enhance the smell and the taste. If he drank the orange juice with his sedative in it, I had him. I had closed all the dumpsters with the can tricks except for this one dumpster that I had the orange juice on. It was a long night that I started at about 9:30, 10 o'clock and being very quiet in the area, uh, it wasn't too long before I kind of dozed off for a little bit. I kind of awoke with a start. I heard a, a noise, a scraping noise, and as I looked up above the dumpster, I saw the creature and he was looking directly at me. He put both hands on the edge of the dumpster and his elbow started to come up and at that time I was afraid. I can't tell you how afraid I was. I reached for my weapon, drew, and fired. He leaped up out of the dumpster. My shot went into the dumpster and missed him. He hit the ground and ran between the dumpsters and was gone in two seconds flat.
0: No, I'm not sure which is more frightening, the thought of a hairy beast hiding in a dumpster or an old man that'll shoot at anything that moves. Either way, What else would you expect to find in a dumpster behind a strip mall in the state of Florida? All joking aside, I guess I didn't realize they used the moniker Skunk Ape as far west as Texas. I do know the Big Thicket area in the eastern part of that state certainly has its fair share of reports. So I guess they just lump all these creatures in under the same name down there. Thanks again, caller, for the fun and possibly smelly entry. Now next up, we venture to the Midwest of America. Indiana, to be specific. The following is Ashley's submission.
5: Hi, my name is Ashley, and I am from Indiana. And I've had, um, I guess you'd call them paranormal experiences pretty much my whole life, since I can remember. But the one that I really hold on to, I guess, and really question and think about most often when I was about 12 years old my aunt was moving into a new house with her two younger sons and then her older daughter who didn't live with her and uh, me my mother and my grandfather all went over to help her move in my grandpa he's uh, he was older than late 60s early 70s at the time We were all doing our thing. You know, my cousin's in the kitchen putting away dishes. And my mom and my aunt were moving furniture into the living room. And Grandpa was just puttering around. But I remember vividly being in the hallway, her new house. There's a bathroom at the very end of the hallway, bedroom on either side. And I'm down by the bedroom area looking towards the living room where the doorway of the kitchen is. And I'm I'm vacuuming and I look up and I see an old man who is about as tall as my grandpa was about six foot, older gentleman. And he's walking from the kitchen doorway to the front door of the house through the living room. And I just see down the hallway and I walk down the hallway because I thought it was my grandpa and I went to ask him a question. And I go, hey, Grandpa. And before I could get it out, I'm rounding the corner and there's nobody there. And, of course, the front door's right there. So I walk to the front door. I'm like, hey, Grandpa can move. You know, he's fast. And uh, I look out. Well, his truck is gone. I walk back into the kitchen where my cousin is. And she's putting away dishes. And I walk through the doorway. And she looks at me. And she goes, well, my goodness. she was like, you've seen a ghost. And I said, I think I did. I said, him and my mom went to the store down the street. I'm like, okay. So I tell her this story, and she's like, um, yeah, we have to tell my mom. So we tell my aunt the story, and I didn't talk anymore about it after that, although I did think about it quite often. Well, a few months later, my, uh, my mom tells me that she talked to my aunt and that apparently an older gentleman had passed away in the home right before she rented the home and that it was actually the, the guy that she's renting it from it was his dad her his dad mom's house and his dad had died in the house i just i just couldn't believe that i actually seen you know that i saw something full-bodied you know i've heard my name called before and i've you know had feelings you need know, to get that energy change but never never saw a full-bodied one before but That one always really stuck with me, and I've always tried to debunk it and, you know, think, well, maybe it was Grandpa, and he is really fast. But, yeah, I just wanted to call and tell my story. I've been binge-listening to every season. I just love the show, man. You just keep up what you're doing. I just love everything about it. It's so great. But thank you for your time. You have a wonderful day. Bye.
0: Thank you, Ashley. Now here's a call that offers up a bit of a dilemma. Is the entity that Ashley witnessed a ghost, as she seemed to suggest? Or is it possible she saw the doppelganger of her grandfather? I only ask that question because she seems so convinced that it was her grandfather she saw. Then again, the detail about the older gentleman dying in the home previous to this experience also makes the ghost suggestion more appealing. Either way, it sounds like a fun experience that many of us are undoubtedly jealous of. So thank you again, Ashley, for taking the time to share. Now, if you have a story you would like to hear played on the show, simply give the hotline a call at one 888 608 That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. And with that out of the way, our next entry is that of Jesse's, hailing also from the state of Texas.
6: Hey Derek, this is Jesse. I'm from Texas. I know you probably have heard about this app called Randonautica because some teens, I believe in Oregon or Washington state, found a suitcase that ended up being full of body parts it was recently in the news. About a month ago, I downloaded the app, and it's really, really weird. Uh, I have not had much luck with it as far as finding really, really weird things go. I have done it probably a dozen times, and a few times I did find kind of weird things, but nothing that really stood out to me. But Here's how it works. You kind of focus on your intent, and it gives you a location near you. So I focused on men and this is where it gets really crazy. It gave me a point of interest that was much further than many of the ones that it usually gives. It was way outside of my central location and in a forested area. And I thought that was really weird because I had paid to have it skip any like redundant points or any points that are located in the water. So I was like that odd. I've never had it go that far outside of my city zone. And there's an option when you click on the point generated to go to Google Earth, or maps, or three-word. And the three-word is just kind of a thing that's associated with the point. And when I clicked on it, the first word that was associated with it was mirror. The second two words were abscess and kettle, which I have no idea what those mean, but it just struck me as very, very strange that the exact first word that it focused on was mirror and I did not vocalize my intent at all during the time that it was generating its results or anything like that. It just came up with this. Uh, I did not go to the point because I was really freaked out, but just hoping that you can use this story in your podcast. Thank you. I love listening to all the stories and keep doing what you're doing. Goodbye.
0: Thank you, Jesse. You know, I actually downloaded the Randonautica app myself after discussing the platform on an episode of Paranormal Caught on Camera. I'll admit, I tried it once. It gave me a location near the center of our lake. Now, knowing the spot fairly well, I opted not to spend the work, either swimming or boating, out there. Now, that said, there have been some crazy stories that have come out of the Randonautica app, I've seen reports of messages from deceased relatives, claims of people that have found abandoned pets, toys, and even, as Ashley touched on, human remains.
5: These teens are about to make a gruesome discovery. Guys, we found a suitcase at the beach. They were exploring a remote part of a beach in Seattle when they came across the mysterious black luggage. At first, they had no idea what was inside, which is why they can be heard joking around in the video.
7: Wait, open it. <laughs> it stinks, y'all.
5: Suddenly, as they poked open the suitcase with a stick, the smell became overwhelming and only then did they realize something sinister might be inside.
1: Okay, so she's calling the police so we can see if it's actually a dead body It's just
5: food. When cops got there, they confirmed the presence of human remains in the trash bag stuffed inside the suitcase. So, how did the teens end up here, at this specific location where they found the suitcase? They were directed there by a smartphone app called Randonautica.
0: That clip comes to us from Inside Edition. Now, the creator of the app was also interviewed in this segment, and he claims that the entire event was a tragic coincidence. Finding a body is not part of their experience, according to him. Now I'm not sure how much stock I put in the app myself, but I will admit, there have been some weird coincidences surrounding it. So thanks again, Ashley, for bringing that to our attention. Now, if you look up at the sky real quick, you might just see something strange, just like our next guest. Please welcome Joe to the program.
8: Hi, Derek. My name's Joe. I'm a long-haul trucker, and uh, your podcast really helped make the night go easy when I drive at night. Um, This is kind of a UFO story. We were living in New Mexico up in the Four Corners area of Farmington at the time, and there's a little town out on the Navajo reservation just off of what used to be known as US-666. It's now US-491 called Sanasti, New Mexico. And this is about 19, if I remember correctly, it was about 1981. We had went out to my uncle's ranch uh, for a family get together. And I can't exactly remember why we had to leave, but we had to get up like two o'clock in the morning and head back home to Farmington. And we had a big old station wagon and me and my kid brother were laying in the back area and I was trying to go back to sleep and as we're headed to the highway to head north, and this was June or July. I just remember summertime and it was hot that day. It, it, it was partly cloudy, not real overcast, but just enough to where I could see planes flying, you know, their nighttime lights. And I noticed a pinwheel shape, kind of like sparkling. I, it, it That's all I can say. I mean, it just looked like it was sparkling it was going from cloud to cloud following us. And you know, out there in the Navajo reservation there's always something that's going on supernatural or something. And it followed us. I mean, it really scared me. At first I thought I was just dreaming it and I pinched my arm to make sure that I, you know, I was awake and I sat up and I pressed my head against the back window cuz you know, those old station wagons used to slip it's an old 72 Chevrolet Capri station wagon. And I remember just it following us and then by the time we got into the town of Shiprock, where we actually got on to 550 to head toward farmington it just vanished so yeah i i don't know that's just my story for now i got a couple of skinwalker stories but i'm just kind of traveling right now and i figured i'd kind of give you that hopefully you can use it keep up the great work thanks Bye.
0: thanks joe Now, oddly enough, the larger town, a dozen or so miles west of the town I grew up in, has its very own Route 666. I'm honestly surprised the route doesn't have more notoriety. I guess its 14-mile length isn't long enough to collect its share of scary tales to warrant such a reputation. But do me a favor, Joe. Stay safe out there on those roads. And keep your eyes open for us. Thanks again for the entry. Now, if you're looking for ways to support Monsters Among Us and get some goodies for yourself in the process, why not pick up some Monsters Among Us merch from our merchandise store or join our Patreon campaign to gain access to 40-plus bonus episodes and many, many more behind-the-scenes surprises. Merch can be found at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And sign up at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. It's only $4 a month for the media's level. And again, this all goes to help support the show. Now, our next real life personal experience comes to us via Mason from the state of Wisconsin.
9: So, my name is Mason. I'm from Wisconsin. And this happened when I was maybe nine or ten years old. At the time, I was into paranormal, but did not know much. I had a psychic aunt, so I was always excited about that kind of stuff. Ghost sightings, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to read everything about it, but I had never had an experience. Anyways, like I said, I was maybe nine years old. We were pretty new in this house. I had a bedroom that you would walk out. You could either go left into the bathroom or right into the living room, and straight ahead would just be a small closet. And so we called that the hallway where you can pick four ways to go. And there's a small light that we would always keep on in there just because I was young and afraid of the dark. And one night I'm laying in bed, just awake for whatever reason. Don't remember anything before this just because it didn't matter. It was just a normal day. And I look out into the hallway and a figure walked by and it looked like a dark silhouette of a man, I assume a man, I couldn't really tell gender, but just from the shape, with a hat on, like a wide brimmed, not top hat, it was shorter than that, and then something that looked like a long jacket or trench coat. It looked almost 2D to me. I didn't really make out any detail, couldn't see a face or anything, and it walked from the left to the right, from the bathroom to the living room, but it didn't acknowledge me, didn't come up on me, nothing. I had the story confirmed because I realized years later what had happened, and I'll say why. But when I told my family about it, my brother remembered that, and he told me he started sleeping with his door closed because I told him that happened. And my mom remembered it. She said I told her the story just matter-of-factly. I didn't seem scared or anything. And that night, I don't remember being afraid or anything. I don't know why. Anyways, years later, I'm maybe 18 or 20, and I'm listening to podcasts. I believe it was expanded perspectives and they had a whole episode on the hat man actually it might have just been one person's encounter and when i heard the description it was exactly what i had seen i was so shocked to find out other people are seeing the same thing and it was years until i found out so that's what's weird to me is that i had seen it and didn't know it was a thing anyways that's my short story i have other ghost stories i'll call in later on but i've been waiting to call in and tell
0: you that so thank you <laughs> Thanks, Mason. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how similar all these Hat Man or Shadow Entity reports actually are. Like Masons, most seem to hit the same beats: Two-dimensional, dark or black silhouette, sneaking or darting around, the long coat, and of course, at least with this case, the trademark hat. So why is it that most of these reports are so similar? Could these be simple tropes of an urban legend that have settled so deeply in our conscious that we don't realize we're repeating them? Sort of the same way many skeptics believe the great alien abductions are falsely recalled and tainted with visions of popular culture. Or is it possible that all of these reports are so similar because these people are witnessing the exact same phenomena? Well, one thing is for sure. Whatever is going on, it sure is persistent. My Hatman slash shadow entity folder is one of the largest in the MAU vault. So thanks again, Mason, for sharing yours with us. Now our next call was submitted anonymously from Parts Unknown.
10: Hey, uh, how's it going? I'm actually calling in response to the recent episode with regards to the story about the gentleman who uh, said that as he was growing up as a kid, he remembers seeing dogs in the windows. His was on the second floor, and my story is a little bit more, maybe a little bit more mundane. So I have something similar, right? This was probably around in 2012, 2013, when I was living with my folks, and I would play games in the basement. And so our house was like zigzag, four-level house kind of thing. So, like, when you go upstairs, you uh, are immediately into the family room. And at the end of the family room, you know, there's the sliding doors out to the patio. And my parents would never close the blinds. And it just started one day. But uh, I remember I would go up sometimes to, like, get beer or food or whatever. And I remember that I would see, like, the shadow of a dog outside in the backyard looking into the family room. And it was like right up at the sliding glass windows and it was kind of weird because every time I would go to the dog it would just like run away but the problem right was that the outside backyard was completely fenced off so I don't know how that dog really got in there. I've checked if there's like a hole in the fence or something I have no idea but it was pretty infrequent uh, as well and I- didn't happen every night. But it was like that on and off for a little while. And then I just kind of moved away. And now I'm back because of COVID. And I don't know, it hasn't happened yet. So I'm not a religious or a supernatural kind of guy. I just listen to this podcast because it's kind of goofy and kind of, you know, fun, creepy stuff that I just listen to while I'm falling asleep. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. And when I heard that story, it was like, okay, well, yeah, I've had a similar story you know i've had dogs staring at me or at least a dog staring at me through a window and i don't know so uh i enjoy your podcast thank you very much bye
0: thanks caller i wonder if this was a normal neighborhood dog that had a secret entrance and a fascination with looking at windows or is it possible that this pooch is somehow paranormal is this the spirit of a dog that once lived in that area? And since I'd like to explore all options, especially the supernatural ones, could this be, possibly, the infamous dogman? I recall a story from Linda Godfrey's book, aptly named, Monsters Among Us, No Relation, in which she details an account from a man in Ontario, Canada, that claims to have seen a werewolf-like creature staring in at him through his window. That story begins on page 119 if you happen to own the paperback. But for those that don't, here is a brief segment of his encounter. When I returned to the bedroom, there was a window directly above my mom's bed, and staring and glaring at me with bright yellow eyes was a huge werewolf snarling and showing its teeth. I only remember seeing its head, long snout, pointy ears, and the most terrifying thing you could ever imagine absolutely a wolf, a werewolf, not a speck of doubt in my mind. I screamed and jumped into bed with my mom. She got up and looked, but nothing was there. and I never saw it again, only the once, and I was so scared to look out my window after dark. So there you go, caller. Now I'm assuming since you didn't describe your dog to be werewolfish, I'd say you were fairly lucky in this case because apparently there's something much worse that might be looking in. And speaking of looking in, just a quick reminder that you can find links to all the sources used in this and every episode over at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. Watch the full clips of materials shared, complete with video. I spend a ton of time curating these different clips and resources, so trust me when I say... There's tons of additional information there. Well, like our last, this entry was also anonymously submitted from an unknown location. Welcome to the show, caller.
3: Hey, I'm a pretty new listener, um, but I really love the podcast so far, and it just made me think about how I did have an experience probably 10 years ago when I was in high school and I've never been able to figure out what really happened. So I you know, had a high school boyfriend at the time and we were hanging out with another couple that we were friends with. We were at one guy's house and we decided that we were going to play like team hide and go seek because not much else to do in a small town in the middle of Texas. But either way, so I'm hiding with my girlfriend and, you know, our boyfriends are trying to find us. So we end up hiding in the pantry in the kitchen, which, you know, not going to be that hard to find us, right? But that's kind of the whole point of the game. We had a lot of areas in the house that we decided were off limits to just kind of limit, you know, where we'd be looking for one another. I remember like before that, the guy whose house we were at, he had told us that his house was built on an Indian burial ground. And I was like, all right, like, maybe so. I mean, the likelihood that that's happened just all over the country, I feel like it's probably pretty high. But at the same time, like, I don't know that he really knew that it could have just been a rumor. Maybe he was just trying to scare us. Either way, I didn't think much of it. I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. So anyway, we are playing hide and seek. We have all the lights off. That was one of the rules. Just, you know, no, no lights on. So we hide in the pantry, right? And you know, we're, we're in there and we're waiting and we're like, oh, they're totally gonna find us because we didn't put a lot of thought into our hiding spot. And um, we noticed this like really like electric blue light. And it went across the bottom, just where there's a little gap between the door and the floor. And it just went from left to right. It was really smooth. Not like if somebody had a flashlight and was scanning around. And so we thought, oh my gosh, they're right there. The boys are going to find us. They didn't open the door to the pantry. And we thought, well, that was weird. Why would they shine a light under the door and then not even bother to check in here? So some time goes by. Finally, you know, the boys find us. And we're like, you you passed right by us. We don't know why you didn't open the door. And they said, what are you talking about? And we said, we saw you. You were shining your light at the bottom of the door. And we know that, you know, you're trying to find us. And also, we're not supposed to use lights, by the way. And they said we didn't do that and we're like okay come on like we know you did you're trying to yank our chain and they were like we didn't really do that so i know what you're thinking cell phones everything else we tried to figure out what did it we did so many tests we were turning on lamps in other rooms we turned on the kitchen light we turned on the garage light we were turning on like any room nearby that could shine a light, but it it just wasn't right. First off, no one has blue lights in their home typically. And also if you turn a light on, it's just kind of like a steady shine, right? It's not like a panning light going from side to side. It's just there. I mean we opened the refrigerator, so nothing in the house was duplicating it. And I know of course we have cell phones, but you know, we have to remember like ten years ago, this is probably like two thousand and eleven or so I mean, the iPhones and Androids that are out are not what we have now. So the different phone apps, the you know, flashlight features, none of that was available. And we could not get the same light to happen again. We couldn't figure it out. The other thing that was kind of odd is that it wasn't anywhere else. You know, if you shut a door, you can kind of see like wherever the door frame is, there's a bit of light coming through there. And it was only at the bottom, just right at the bottom on the outside of the door. And we could not duplicate it to save our lives. I mean, I'm definitely aware that you know, our boyfriends could have just been totally messing with us and refused to like give up what they did. But they tried to help us figure out what did it. I mean, they were trying a bunch of different things. We even made them use their cell phones. We were like, use your cell phone, show me. And it just wasn't the same. So it was really odd. And I don't know, it probably wasn't really anything. I mean, I didn't get chills. I didn't see a person, I didn't hear a voice, you know, nothing that I would think if I, I would encounter um, or experience if there was, you know, maybe a ghost nearby. I don't know what to make of it. That's my story. That's my weird encounter. Thanks for doing the podcast and allowing people to share their interesting and supernatural experiences.
0: Thanks, caller. After some deliberation, I might have a theory that could explain what happened that evening. Of course, only our caller will know for sure if this actually checks out. But what if a distant car's headlights are to be blamed? This could explain the smooth motion and the inability to duplicate it. Now perhaps the beams blasted through a window and reflected off a glass object caused a reflection of light to seemingly slide across the room. Now I can hear a few of you rumbling now, but she said that it was blue. Well, it's not uncommon to see blue LED headlights these days. And it's also possible that the beam of light from that passing car could have passed through or even be refracted by something in the home with the blue tint to it. I'm thinking Tiffany lampshade or stained glass. Now this theory may seem a bit far-fetched, but anything involving an extraordinary experience like this is going to sound that way. Now, outside of that theory, I'm short on ideas. So perhaps a listener out there has his or her own theory to explain these odd happenings. Thanks again, Goller, for sharing. And here we are, folks. The finish line. Or near it, at least. And I've saved a pretty good one for last. Now, earlier on, I teased of a skinwalker story. And I know most of you hadn't forgotten about it. So I'm here to deliver. From the enchanted lands of New Mexico, please welcome Rob to the show.
7: Hi Derek, this is Rob from New Mexico. Uh, I just wanted to share a skinwalker story that my friend told me the other night. It's actually a story... Her dad told her, I guess some years back, while he was a fire chief slash, like, first responder. Now, at the time, they were stationed near one of the reservations in a fairly rural area of New Mexico. Her dad was the one to delegate, like, which crew went to certain calls, because it was kind of a, you know, just a small area, and it wasn't wasn't too many people out there. And I guess two calls came in at the same time, so two teams had to be sent out to different locations. And now these guys are, uh, you know, like, like anybody, when they, when they come back from a call, they're going to they're gonna be talking about it and, you know, going back and forth and letting everyone know, like, oh, yeah, we did this, whatnot. So they were sharing their stories about what the call was. And first team came back, and that's what they did. And then the second team came. And when they got back, I guess everybody was just dead silent. Like, which was which was weird for those kind of guys <laughs> usually they would be like willing to tell you the story about what had happened and what they had to see you know kind of like uh, battle stories and whatnot so they they came back they were just dead silent looked kind of spooked so after a while one of the guys from the first team asked what had happened and you know why, why are they acting so weird so another guy from the second team, I guess they explained that the call that they went to was for a, a man who suffered a heart attack on the reservation. Something had caused him to have a heart attack. and So they're there, they did their thing, they gave him all the necessary medical treatment. And they're starting to head back in their, I guess like first responder vehicles. And a coyote started chasing their car. And... You know, they started to pick up speed, and this thing was keeping up with them. And I guess all of a sudden, the coyote, like, reared up on its hind legs and started running, like, full speed. <laughs> like, they're they're freaking out because they've never seen anything like a dog run on its hind legs like that before, especially, like, in a full sprint. And they started picking up speed, and I guess they looked, and it, it let out some kind of strange noise and then did a weird flip sort of thing like I don't know and they said that it started sprinting backwards like it didn't turn around it just did a weird flip and then started sprinting full speed backwards and that just scared the heck out of them and yeah when she told me that I was I was like freaked out because I in my mind I'm imagining not only a dog on on its hind legs sprinting but then sprinting backwards like I've heard stories on on the show before about skinwalkers or things like that like chasing after the car and keeping up with it but I've never heard of the backward sprinting thing so I don't know if anyone has any stories about that but hey love the podcast I hope you can use this thank you thank you sir now that's one you'll be thinking about
0: next time you're driving down a darkened stretch of roadway as if the image of an upright coyote isn't unsettling enough the thing had to go and walk backwards Now, we've discussed the skinwalker before. But for those of you that are new to the subject, they're essentially Navajo shaman that have learned, earned, or have been given the ability to shapeshift into any animal of his, or I suppose her, choosing. An eagle to see the land, a bear to gain strength, or a coyote to earn speed and a sense of smell. And according to legends that I'm familiar with, they use these abilities to execute an array of tasks most of which seem sinister in nature now it's also my understanding that the navajo nation has frowned upon the popularization of this legend apparently simply discussing the skinwalker can somehow give strength to any of those creatures that happen to be nearby but for all intents and purposes What Rob reported in his call sounds awfully similar to other reports I've heard of those claiming to be witness of this phenomena. Although, I must say, the detail about it walking backwards is as new to me as it is hair-raising. But the biggest connection with Rob's experience and those of other witnesses is the location. New Mexico seems to be ground zero for the Skinwalker legend. And experiences with them in that area are certainly nothing new.
11: It's downright creepy. A picture of an unexplained being lurking on the side of a road. The person who posted it claimed it was taken near Lybrook and Counselor, which is near the Jicaria Reservation. The story claims that a geologist was working in an oil field in the area, saw something odd, and decided to take a heat signature of it. The next day, the geologist suddenly quit. The story spread like wildfire. According to legend, a skinwalker is a person with the supernatural ability to turn into any animal and walks on all fours. There are stories of countless encounters in New Mexico, but few will speak of them. Too scared, they'll be targeted.
0: Now I know you're dying to see the photo the reporter was referencing. And of course you can over at the show notes. But for those of you that would like a description, it's a humanoid creature, white, hairless, gaunt, with a gaping mouth. It's standing in the middle of the road, and its stance is almost like someone doing a classic crab walk from elementary school. Feet and palms on the floor, belly up. Well, as it turns out, there's a good reason why it looks that way.
11: But you can all rest easy. It didn't take long for the picture and the story to be debunked. It apparently comes from a 1980s science fiction movie, Extro. A creepy being is born, then goes on the prowl, and is then spotted by a couple driving along the road. It's unclear how the story was connected to Liebrook or Counselor or that so-called geologist. Perhaps it was just someone having a little fun. But it sure shows the power of social media and legend
0: now those clips come courtesy of KRQE CBS News 13 out of Albuquerque and that's not the first or last time something like that has happened it's always good to do some research before spreading fake evidence at the very least it'll make my job easier regardless thanks again Rob that was a great little story and delivered a new image that my brain will never be able to shake. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. Continue the conversation over at our social media accounts at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the terrifying score that you hear is co.agmusic music and white bat audio. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe and until next time. Tonight's secret story takes us to the jungles of South America. Please join me in welcoming David to the line.
12: Hey, hi there, Derek. My name is David. I'm originally from Venezuela in South America, by, by the Amazon between Brazil and Colombia. I live in the States since around 15 years ago. I love your podcast. I found it a couple of years ago. I've been listening. I never thought so we'll call. I'm not the kind of person that looks for that public attention, but with the current situation, I say, hey, what the hell, why not? I'm about to tell you about the Mapinguari, which I don't know if you have this hear about it. The Matinguari is essentially a mystical beast that lives in the Amazon, and it's a known tradition by different names in Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil, Bolivia, and any of the other countries that borders with the Amazon. I'm quite sure that you're also aware that if there was a place that have not changed since the place to see is the Amazon is the one place that has remained essentially with the same ecosystem. So, if there was any chance of a cryptic creature or of a relic creature to survive, will actually be in a place like the Amazon, that is mostly unexplored. It's absolutely huge. In my youth, my father, uh, rest in peace, was an avid hunter. He would take me out hunting and whatnot, and hear about the stories about you know the the god of the forest and and whatnot. And the way that it was described is is a huge creature that. It looks like a giant sloth, which, by the way, there are fossil records of such, such an animal. Also, that has claws, which is, if you look at the anteater and the other animals that are still live the Amazon, is one very specific feeder of animals down there. Well, the point being is that I was hunting, or he was hunting, I was with him, and the way that this kind of hunt works is that you sit in kind of a hammock. You put it up top of a tree and you sit and it's called velar which essentially what you're doing, you go to the place where animals are going to come to eat at night, so you sit there and you wait there until they come to eat, and that's when you shoot them. That's what is called velar, that's a way of hunting. So I was maybe hey, 10 or 12 years old, I went with my father to hunt, and because I thought that I could get hungry, I actually stayed on my pocket, uh, trucker, just, you know, in case I was going to get hungry. And as we are there sitting in the middle of the night, he's super quiet. He has his rifle ready. I'm right by him on this hammock on top of the trees, close by just by the fruit is falling so the animals will come eating. I move and when I move of course the cracker goes in my pocket like <clears throat> I'm my dad goes like what the hell is that? It's like why do you have that on you? You gotta tear away any animals that we can. I'm gonna have to take you back to the car which was a good mile away from where we were hunting. When I have to leave, that doesn't help or not. He was kind of mad at me, but he also understood that I was just a kid. So while we were trying to do that, all of a sudden I feel this insane stench. Like, I don't know if it exactly was rotten flesh, because I would know that. I think I would distinguish that. But what I remember, it was very musty, like mold kind of thing. And my dad just grabbed me and put his hand over my mouth and asked me to stay quiet, and we literally can clearly hear something moving around in the jungle. This is not a forest, this is the jungle. And you can literally smell this, this almost like a steam, I don't know how to describe it exactly, like a cloud of a smell coming towards you. And he just held his hand over my mouth, and he held me hard. He almost was choking me to make sure that was quiet. I remember that he didn't even reach for the rifle. He just, we just stood there for a good three to five minutes when we felt this presence around us, moving around the tree what it was moving or whatever it was. And that night he pulled it off. And I, this is a man that used to hunt uh, to hunt for uh, cougars and whatnot. This is a man that I never saw afraid. That night I felt he was terrorized or whatever that it was that it was on the forest. Uh, he grabbed me, we head back to the car and he did not come back to that location for the time that I remember. So years passed, and, and, and we talk about that situation, and the joke was about me and the crackers. And he keeps saying that that night, what we came close to see was the Mapinguari. So, hey, I just thought that might be something of interest. Thank you again, brother. You do a fantastic job. I really enjoy listening to the podcast, and, and hopefully we'll see you at the end of all this madness. Take care. Have a nice day, bro. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, finally. I've been waiting for an excuse to talk about this strange cryptid for a very long time now. And not only do we get to discuss it, but we actually get a story from a possible witness. If you can't tell, I'm a little excited. Well, let's start off with what the Mapinguari actually is. As David mentioned, this thing is sort of the Bigfoot of the Amazon, but... As David also mentioned, and unlike our buddy Bigfoot, this creature doesn't appear to be ape-like. Instead, the theory that the creature may be a thought-to-be extinct mammal known as the giant ground sloth is quickly gaining steam. Just listen to the description of this fairly recently extinct animal.
3: This is the skeleton of an extinct animal called the giant ground sloth. A huge creature that once roamed all over North and South America. Let's take a closer look Kevin Seymour is skin. an
10: investigator of prehistoric creatures.
7: Can you tell me what the giant ground sloth looked like when it was alive? We have some idea because we have the full skeleton preserved. We can see that it has claws on both its front and its hind feet. It probably could defend itself and certainly kill other animals if it had to. From preserved pieces of hide, we know that it was shaggy and reddish in color. Well, how big was it? We know from the skeleton it was almost as big as an elephant, but we can tell from the way the bones go together that this animal could stand on its hind legs and it would be a really scary thing. Did it smell bad? We don't really know, but we could guess that it did because other living sloths smell bad. Is it possible that the Mapinguari is a giant ground sloth?
0: Now that bite was taken from the Discovery Kids Channel program, Mystery Hunters. So the theory that the giant ground sloth has somehow managed to survive in the deepest recesses of the Amazonian jungle is not a new one. And believe it or not, not all that far-fetched either. In fact, in brushing up on the subject, I stumbled upon a great little documentary about this little-known and, dare I say, grounded cryptid. Here is a short clip from The Monster Files, Beast of the Amazon, from 1998.
10: Six hours upriver, close to the point where Varko was chased out of the forest. They set about building what will be their base for the next week.
2: I don't think I've ever been so far from any place before in my life. Now I can see where an animal could hide out here with all the vegetation and that. This is just really in the middle of nowhere.
11: We haven't even finished making up camp
1: yet. I was getting some of my luggage out of the boat, and here's this sound. And I asked Bazzini what he thought it was. And he thinks the herds of white-lipped peccaries here are so loud that all their hooves moving through together in the forest make this sound. I said, that's not the hooves of white-lipped peccaries. That's one of the vocalizations of the
7: Mapinguari. Um, he's going to sleep in the boat tonight, he told us. He doesn't want to uh,
2: sleep on dry land tonight. So uh, in any case, looks good here, very good.
0: Now, essentially, the doc follows Dr. David Oren's search for the elusive creature. The link is in the show notes if you're looking for something new, or at least new to you. And speaking of new, thank you again, David, for giving me the opportunity to discuss this wild monster. As far as cryptids go, I can't help but think that this one has a good shot at actually being real. And with that... I bid you a good evening. Have a good night.